Welcome to Begin Where You Are, a podcast from Covenant Presbyterian Church focused on discipleship. My name is John Wasson. I serve as one of the pastors here. Begin Where You Are is really the answer to a question that I get asked a lot. We are all searching for concrete ways to live out our faith, and sometimes it's not always clear where we should begin. So this podcast is an invitation, or maybe even permission, to begin where you are, believing that Christ meets us wherever we are and calls us to follow him. And hopefully we can provide some resources and some practices that are useful to you. Our first series will focus on the Bible. We're preaching through the Bible this summer and exploring all of the many stories of God found within it. And we've provided a roadmap with five different signs to help you navigate your way through the territory of Scripture. You can find the roadmap and more information at covenant.org backslash stories dash of dash God. The first sign of the roadmap reads that the Bible truthfully tells the story of God's action of creating, judging, and reconciling the world in Jesus Christ which basically means that the Bible is primarily about God, who called all things into existence, rescued Israel from Egypt, and raised Jesus from the dead. What we're claiming is that God is not just a projection of human religious psyche, but the living God who is at work in the world today. Scripture discloses the action of this God through his interaction with the people of Israel and in the person and work of Jesus. And today we're going to try to get our heads around kind of what the Bible is and explore this first sign a little bit more with Pete Enns. My guest today is Pete Enns. Pete is a biblical scholar and professor at Eastern University. Uh, he's taught, he's studied, and, and written about the Bible for over 20 years. Uh, his latest books are The Sin of Certainty and The Bible Tells Me So. So thanks for joining us on the podcast today, Pete. Sure, John. Great to be here. Pete, you have been studying the Bible and writing about the Bible for a long time. Not Walter Brueggemann long, but yeah. <laughs> you know, still a pretty long time. And I mentioned that your book, Inspiration and Incarnation, was formational for me, so much that I dropped out of seminary after reading it, uh, which is a story for another time. Um, yeah, but but all that to say that that uh, let it be known that that Pete will mess with you. Uh, so if you're looking for a really dry book that just confirms everything you already know or think you know, then um, <laughs> then maybe the Bible tells me so might not be your thing. Well, you know, I don't I don't think I don't mess with anybody. I just say that it's the Bible that messes with you. You just got to pay attention to it. Don't don't blame me. I want to talk with I didn't you. Write, I didn't write this stuff. <laughs> about this new book, The Bible Tells Me So, and also your podcast, uh, The Bible for Normal People. Uh, Both of these are really great resources that I think everyone who is interested in the Bible should check out. Um, I appreciate that. Thanks. But but before we dive into the book and talking about, you know, what what normal really means, uh, I wanted to start with a question just related to reading through the Bible. Uh, As I mentioned to you, as a congregation, we're going to be reading through the Bible together as, as a congregation this summer. We'll be reading through it, um, you know, in roughly 90 days. Yeah, so, wow. So my first... That's a lot. I mean, that's that's amazing, actually. That's <laughs> that's a real commitment, you know. Well, so my first, really is. my first question to you is, is this a good idea? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I do, because, I mean, just getting a bo- big, you know, overview of things, and it doesn't mean you'll always read the Bible that way, 
But I think getting through the Bible in three months, you know, the course of a summer or something is is really good. And, and it gives people sometimes a sense for the whole. And I know many people who have done something similar to that that say this is actually a really good thing that I never would have done had I not been pushed. So I, th- I think it's a great idea. Yeah. And so I think, too, I mean, one of the one of the reasons I like it is that we're, we're so used to reading the Bible in, in small chunks, you know, very small right. – you know, verses at a time kind of thing. And so I, I like, um, you know, I like the idea of us reading major portions of the story in one sitting. But um, I wonder if you might be able to shed some light on what kinds of things we should be, we should look out for uh, or be aware of so that we don't read it wrong. I mean, the fir- my well, first reaction yeah. to this was, it seems like a lot of Bible in a short amount of time that we're rushing through. Um and you know my <laughs> my sense was like people this is going to freak some people out um like there are sections of the bible that are more violent than game of thrones you know could ever hope to be well i mean it, it is true the violence is something that hits you already at the beginning in chapter 6 with the flood story and i've i've been a part of i, I at least i've spoken in communities and churches where they're doing exactly what you're doing the bible in 90 days and many of them have never really read the Bible before, and I'm getting emails within a couple of days saying, "Yeah, what the heck's going on here? Yeah. People are dropping like flies." You know. So, but I think you know the things to look for. What I what I would, if I were sort of leading this in a church setting, I'd say, "Here's something to look for. Look for a couple things. One, where your preconceptions are being challenged, hmm. and also look for the." F- the idea of the, this being a long story, these are narratives that are woven together rather than verses. Try to think of the big picture. And mm. that's the big thing that reading the Bible in 90 days does for you. You actually can't linger on verses. You have to keep going. And sometimes, you know, something will come to light like, oh, goodness, I this, you know, this that happening in the Joseph story is the same thing that happened with Judah and with, you know, Noah, and and you sort of start seeing a bigger picture, which is an important place to get to. And I think that's where a lot of Christian readers, they, they don't do well there. They do better with a passage or a verse, but not with a crafted piece of literature, which is, say, Genesis. You know, it's, it's, it's there, and it's big, and it needs to be taken seriously. And so I just, I would say, look out for that. Hmm. That's a good, and, and if you're doing that, you're ahead of the game already, I think. The other thing, that I was thinking of too, and you were, you were mentioning those those two things to remember was one of the things you you talk about you weave throughout your entire book is this idea that the Bible often doesn't behave like we yeah. think it should, and so you know one of the major claims, maybe the claim that most stood out to me in your book is that the Bible you know is not a rule book or an owner's manual at all, and when we expect right. the Bible to kind of do the things it's not designed to do or behave in ways that it's not wasn't written to behave, uh, that we'll read it wrong and things will go bad. So help us understand kind of, you know, what is the Bible if not an owner's manual uh, or a rule book? If we were kind of shed those uh, ideas of the Bible, what would we replace it with? Well, you know, honestly, I think, I mean, I have my own answer, which I'll tell you, but I think answering that, asking that question is very valuable. And it doesn't mean, you know, you're stupid or you're losing your faith or something. But I think asking, you know, what is the Bible? How do we use it? Those are fundamental questions I think we should keep returning to again and again. And I think reading the Bible as you're going to be doing is 
a good way to sort of have those questions hit you. So, you know, I, I think it's actually, you know, the first thing I want to say to answer your question is, yeah, I have my answer, but let's see what your answer is to that. And it's okay to be asking it. And it's like, oh, I used to be so clear what the Bible is, how it works. It tells me what to do here and there. But that may be, might have been a false understanding of huh. the Bible. And it's good to sort of shed that and, and, and look at it as a more complex piece of literature. But I'd say my, my direct answer to the question, where I am now today at 1109 Thursday, <laughs> April 27th, Eastern Time, uh, is the Bible really reflects back to us the, the diverse stages of spiritual journeys of people communing with God in ancient times. Hmm. That's sort of a mouthful. But, I mean, that gets a lot in there of what I think is important. The Bible is an ancient book. It doesn't speak our language. The culture is different, and so we have to pay attention. Um, and the Bible doesn't always agree with itself, so to speak. You know, And that's just the way it works. There, there are diverse voices that say different things under different circumstances for different reasons for different audiences and 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 sometimes you know the the biblical writers feel very triumphant and victorious and other times they're very downcast and they feel god's absence and they're questioning god and shaking their fist at god and you have all these things glimpsed for us in this bible and and it's it's diversity i think is its strength so i'd say it models for us a common spiritual journey that people have been having for a long time. Hmm. And, you know, when people today in this, you know, as anyone who's been in church for a while knows that people sometimes struggle and, you know, where's God when you need him? And, and you know, I can't believe any of this Bible stuff because God has not shown up for me here or there. I just say, read the Bible. There are people in the Bible asking that question. Yeah. It's as old as anything, you know, and, and seeing that is just, is wonderful. So it models for us. It, it's a mirror back to us of our own struggles, and and we can find friends there. Not just it's not just always going well. It's sometimes going very very not well. Yeah, and that's the way it is. You know, one of the reactions I remember I had early on um, when I first read through the Bible, the parts that I had not read through, there's a little bit of anxiety trying to make everything kind of fit. Yeah, yeah. fit together. And be very consistent and coherent, and 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 what I love about what you just said was that there's there's this broad diversity, and you have books right. like um, Deuteronomy and the blessings and curses, and it seems very straightforward. And then you and then you right. arrive at Job, and it's like that 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 is yeah. this complicates Deuteronomy. Um, so right. you know, as 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 folks are reading through it. It, it might be just helpful for them to remember that, that at times it's going to even challenge itself. And right. what's the, what do you think the point of that is? I mean, uh, having, having a story at times, which is, which seems to disagree with itself or offer a different perspective. I mean, what, what should we, what should we, uh, you know, think about that or, or derive yeah. from that? Uh, cause I think that's important and it's a big part of your book, but, um, yeah. How do we make meaning out of that, I guess, as Christians? Well, I think it's worth observing that the Bible was not written at one time in one place. It was written over a long period of time. I mean, the Old Testament, hundreds of years, and the New Testament, maybe, you know, a few decades. But it was written over a long period of time. And so you're going to see these different points of view. 
And the people who are, let's just stick with the Old Testament for a second, the, the people, the rabbis, the scribes who are responsible for compiling the Old Testament as we know it, they could read too. And they understood that there are diverse voices in this text, and they decided to keep them. Yeah. And there's some, there's a lesson there, you know, for us to learn that, um, you know, even if the way you put it, and and I understand what you're saying, but even saying like, it's, you know, we're trying to make it all fit together. Well, that's already presuming something about what the Bible is. Right. It's a Bible where things have to be fit together. And that's why coming back to that question, well, what is the Bible is actually a faithful question to ask, not a faithless question to ask. It's, it's a question that only people of faith would ever think of asking. Mm. And and I think the Bible just points us in that direction. So, hmm. again, it models for us the fact that the Bible deals with reality, you know, and people's reactions and thoughts, and and how our our experience of God really does change. How we think of God really does change for us, depending on whether we're twenty or sixty, or depending on whether something terrible has happened to us or something very good has happened to us. We, we actually think and conceive of God differently on those, based on those experiences. And of course, you know, people will say, and I get this 100%, they'll say, well, that's why we need the Bible to sort of anchor us so we're not sort of thrown back and forth with our subjective blah, blah, blah. But the thing is, the Bible does the same thing. Right. Right. Well, where's my anchor? Well, God is your anchor. That's your anchor. Yeah. You know, the spirit of God, the spirit of the risen Christ, all that, you know, all that stuff the, the New Testament talks about, that's our anchor. It's not getting the Bible right. The Bible comes along as, you know, I've, I've been calling the Bible a means of grace over the past few years. It's it's a way of, of opening the door into this communion with God and with others which is like John's gospel, that's the point. You know, the, the intimacy that Jesus and the Father have, we have with the Father and the Son by the Spirit, and we have that same intimacy with each other and stuff like that. That's the goal of all this, hmm. right? It's not, it's not to get the Bible right. It's the Bible ho- helps open doors of, of enlightenment and also debate and even disagreement, Yeah, you know, which is where the Jewish tradition tends to have I think a better handle, not not across the board, but tends to have a better handle on this than most Christians I know, because they understand that there is diversity in the text and there are legitimate diverse ways of understanding it, but we're still uh, defined by something bigger than just the answers we get from the Bible. Yeah, let's... Uh, That's a lot of pressure to put on people, to get right, the answer right. Right. You can't be part of the tribe. <laughs> right. And I, I think we, I'd like to talk about, about that a little bit, that... that I, I mean, I, what I've noticed is that one of the challenges that um, Christians seem to have in reading the Bible is connecting their story to Israel's story, you know, but as you know, like 75% of this thing is, is Israel's story. I'm wondering mm-hmm. if you can help us think through, you know, how normal 21st century Christians connect their story to, to the story of Israel and what's, how do we do mm-hmm. that? And, and, and how do we make sense of that, especially as we're kind of trudging along through, through Leviticus and Numbers yeah. and First and Second right. Chronicles? Um, it I doesn't well, seem like it's a story about us. Welcome to the Christian challenge. Right. Like I tell my, um, my undergraduate students when it comes to questions like this, I say, well, th- those are very good questions, and welcome to adult Bible reading, because that's exactly <laughs> the struggle of the Christian church. I mean, in a good sense, the struggle of the Christian church of what to do with Israel's story 
in light of, first of all, Jesus, in the light of the fact that we live in a time and place that has nothing whatsoever to do with what Israel was doing. Right. We don't live in the land. We don't sacrifice. We don't have prophets running around. So, and and that's it gets complicated. And, and but in in a, in a and I say that in an encouraging sense, this is worthy of study, right? Mm-hmm. That it's complicated because we have the whole new cosmos kind of thing to deal with with Jesus that helps us already reframe, if that's the right way of putting it, Israel's story. So we have that uh, not filter. I mean, maybe filter is not a bad word. We have these lenses to look through to the Old Testament. And we have the obligation to ask, okay, how does this relate to us? But there's one way, one, I think, very practical way that the Old Testament relates in general. And that is what we were talking about before. The Old Testament is where you see people struggling with God's absence Hmm. or with God not coming through the way they thought God was supposed to come through. And the reason you have that in in the Old and not in the New Testament, not really in the New Testament, is because... The New Testament is is written. It concerns a time period that's pretty narrow. Yeah, a few a few decades, and it's all all the old New Testament was written post resurrection, and it's all about the Messiah has come. God has raised the Messiah from the dead, and it won't be long long now. Hmm. Right there, there's clearly a, a an an expectation on the part of the New Testament writers that things will come to a head very, very quickly, what Christians today call the second coming. It's, it's going to happen really soon. So you, you have this almost triumphant and expectant kind of thing happening in the New Testament. Yeah, you're suffering, but just hold on, it'll be over real soon. In the Old Testament, you have a time period that goes centuries, plenty of time for things, for people generation after generation after generation to be asking questions of where is God when you need him? Why Why is not God showing up the way our tradition says he should show up? Like Psalm 44, 73, 88, 89, these are great psalms for seeing this sort of thing. And in that sense, see, Christians that I have something in common with the Old Testament that they might not have in common with the New. Namely, we're here for a long time. Hmm. And, and how do we, what kind of questions do we ask? How do we relate to God when so much time has passed and there's no indication looking around us that anything's going to change anytime soon. Part of that problem, it seems like, you know, not being able to connect our story to Israel's story stems from maybe not even being able to connect Jesus' story to Israel's story. Um, right. You know, one of the, one of the, the, the small, shorter chapters in your book is that is called Jesus was actually Jewish. Um, (laughs) and, and you say that if we look to the Bible as as a collection of kind of unchanging information about God, we actually miss the reality of, of Jesus and how Jesus necessarily, I think you say, transforms Israel's story. And, um, can you say more about that? I mean, just the way that Jesus takes the Bible and, and, and uses it creatively, um, and what we have to learn from that. Well, I, I think that... First of all, I mean, just this, what you're just saying, that Jesus creatively engages the Old Testament, his Bible. And again, here, the Old Testament itself is a help to us, because what Jesus is doing is no different in principle from what the Old Testament does as a whole. And, you know, the the quick big example is compare the account of the kings in First and Second Chronicles with the account of the kings in in 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. They're different. 
they're very different. Why? Because these stories are written at different times, different places, and they sort of turn things on their head. Jesus is doing that. He's really following a biblical principle, so to speak, of turning things on their head. And Paul does that as well. And it's important for us to remember that uh, it's not, you know, Jesus and the Old Testament aren't always on the same page. And neither is Paul. Because there's something big that happened, namely Jesus, that that the, the 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 words on the page can't account for. Yeah, right. No one is expecting. No one is expecting. I mean, those Jews who were expecting a Messiah of some sort were expecting a king. Right. And so, spoil, spoiler alert um, for our listeners: Jesus, Jesus raised from the dead. Um, go ahead. Right. And this changes. You know. Yeah. This changes everything. Yeah. I mean. He rose with the dead. He was crucified by the Romans. Messiahs aren't supposed to lose. They're supposed to win. And and raised from the dead. I mean, Jews believed, you know, many Jews at least, believed in some sort of resurrection of the future, but for all Israel, not for just one guy, you know. So, I mean, th- this is something that the, the, the script of the Old Testament does not prepare you for that. But yet you have the New Testament writers quoting the Old Testament about 350 times. Hmm. And they do so in an effort, let's say, to connect Jesus with Israel's story, and they do so in a very creative way. And that's just the way that it is. Because, you know, the lesson, the bottom line is that God is not bound to our experiences which are articulated in the Bible. Those are important. We learn from that. But God is not, ultimately, God is not bound by, but you said in this verse, right, right, and there are plenty of examples in the Old Testament about that very fact that God is doing. God is full of surprises, and doing right? things. And, and I think it's important. Just you know, you look at the New Testament and the Old Testament. The connection that that is, I would. I mean, this is probably a slight overstatement, but in my opinion, this is the interpretive issue that has driven the church for two thousand years. What do we do with Israel's story in light of the coming of Jesus? Right. What I love the way was, that you put it was just that Jesus transforms Israel's story, and we need to read the Old Testament. We can go back and read the Old Testament um, in light of Jesus, just as Jesus challenges, you know, his disciples to do. I think in, in the Gospel of Luke mm-hmm. to reread Israel's story with him in mind, to go back and do that, and to think that I think you say I think that you say too that right, like that the Bible is not the final word from God, but that Jesus is. Right. What does that mean? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, you know, the, the, the Word of God is, I mean, I, I make a distinction when I write about this stuff. I use the capital W word right. when I'm talking about Jesus as the Word of God and the lowercase w for the Bible. Right. To remember that, you know, God's ultimate act, speech act, if we can use a phrase like that, is demonstrated in Jesus. Written words bear witness to that. Yeah, yeah. But we lose sight of the thing when we sort of make the written text the thing that means everything rather than something that sheds light on something else. And again, that sounds very subjective, and I understand that, but it, it, it is subjective. It's highly subjective, and that's the nature of reality. Right. <laughs> you know, it, it is, you know, again, the anchor is not the exegesis of the word. It's un, it's knowing the word capital W, and Scripture bears witness to that in all sorts of different ways and complicated ways. But ultimately, it comes. I mean, you know, I, I hope this is helpful. But in my opinion, it ultimately comes down to the experience we have of God in ourselves and in community. Hmm. 
it's not getting the exegesis of the Bible right. Mm. I don't know anybody who is a Christian because they've done exegesis of the Bible. <laughs> it's the experience that comes first, and the Bible follows along afterwards. Mm. Some, some... And maybe I'm wrong. I mean, there may be some people say, I was a complete atheist, and I picked up the Bible, and I read it. But even there, I would say, it's not your reading that did anything. It's God that did something right. to you in that act of reading. Right. Right, and he might do the same thing with somebody else in another circumstance. You know? Yeah, I think I think it was uh, Rowan Williams that said that the Bible is the territory in which we expect to hear God speaking. Yeah, I love that, and on, on a journey through that territory with the expectation that God might say something in it, uh, as you know, as it bears witness to Jesus. Yeah, this final word. Right. Right. Um, you know. Yeah. Just a couple more questions for you. One that I hope is kind of fun. Um, you're, in your book, one of your chapters entitled God Did What? <laughs> uh, and it got me thinking, and you know, sometimes I wonder if God is thinking the same thing about us okay, yeah. um, when observing like how we read the Bible. You know, like someday we're going to meet God face to face and God is going to be like, you did what with Genesis 1 and 2? Or yeah. you did what with Job? <laughs> um, so maybe, right. maybe not specific passages, but what tops the list for you in terms of you know, bad habits we need to give up uh, when we read the Bible what are those what are those passages that we need to Yeah, well you just say, Oh my goodness gracious, what's going on here? Yeah. 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 Uh well I mean for me it's probably some standard things that a lot of people look at in, in the Old Testament, like um God's seeming preoccupation with killing animals. <laughs> you know, for, for sacrifice. And again, you know, I mean people have quipped that, you know, if you want to become an atheist, the best book to read is the Bible. Yeah, <laughs> and that's true. You know, if if you read that from a point of view of like the Bible's a rule book or an owner's manual, right? You know, right? Um, then you know uh, that's that you're going to run into problems like that, right? You know. Well, yeah. I you know I I one of the things I've enjoyed about reading your books is that you're a, you're a scholar, but you speak like a, a human being. Trying to, and I think this this is this also has bared out through the the Bible for normal normal people podcast. So I'm just wondering, you know, uh, what are you hoping to do with with that podcast? How do you imagine it being helpful for for normal people? And even what do we mean by normal people? Is this people um, <laughs> who are who are Christians without you know seminary education who are just interested in the yeah, Bible? Yeah, pretty much and, it. Yeah, people who are interested are people who used to be interested and would sort of like to be and wonder why they're not. So. It's it's people who don't do this sort of thing professionally or have professional training. And one thing that we want to do on the podcast is bring some of those people who have thought about specific topics deeply and sort of just talk about that for an hour and let people see how others who have a, make a living at this are thinking through things like where did the Israelites come from? What about the violence in the Bible? How about evolution or science? And I think that's beneficial for people. And, you know, and, and maybe and, and the plan at this point is to, to have people on who are themselves more practitioners and maybe not known very well, but that we know that have thought a lot about this in very practical levels. Hmm. So, that's so cool. yeah, that's that, that we're trying to do that sort of thing, have those conversations. And also, maybe, you know, this is this overlaps with the first, but have you know, create spaces for people to listen and to participate in some sense about things that they might not always, you know, feel they have the freedom to do. Right, right. You know, it, it's a space. It's a, it's a space for people to hear other people talk about things that sort of validates their own experience way of thinking about things. 
Well, thanks for doing it, and uh, make sure to check out Pete's book, The Bible Tells Me So, his other books, too. Uh, he's funny and smart, and, and most of all, I think, really helpful to normal people like us who are trying to figure out how to read the Bible and listen for, for what God might be saying to us here and now. And uh, also make sure to go and subscribe to The Bible for Normal People on iTunes. It's a great listen. Pete, thanks so much for joining us, helping us understand what the Bible is, what it isn't, and uh, this has been really great. And thank you, John, for having me on. I appreciate it, too, very much. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. Big thank you as well to Pete Enns for being our guest. Make sure to check out his book, The Bible Tells Me So, and his podcast, The Bible for Normal People. If you're listening and you have questions along the way, especially about the Bible, you can email those to beginwhereyouare at covenant.org. And make sure to subscribe on iTunes if you haven't yet. Thanks for listening.